coming to this building and having church. Can you say amen? I don't like to just come and, and go through the motions and, and just come to fulfill an obligation. Um, but I want to come with purpose. And that purpose is to experience the power and presence of God. Without Him and His work in our heart and lives and our service, um, then what we do really means nothing. So I'm thankful that God chooses to meet with His people um, when His people meet together, aren't you? Amen. And I'm thankful this morning that even though God is much more than a feeling, you can feel Him. You can experience His presence. And that's such a powerful thing. That's so refreshing for the children of God when you uh, begin to experience the presence of God in, in a service like we have this morning. So what a blessing it is to me. and know it's been a blessing to you and worship team as always. Thank you so much. Take your Bibles. Look there in Mark chapter 8. And I want us to see a very familiar passage of scripture. One that the Lord Jesus speaks directly from his own mouth. And he says in Mark 8 starting in verse number 34. Something extremely powerful. And when he had called the people unto him with his disciples also. He said unto them, so this, here, get the picture. This is Jesus huddling everybody up. All right, everybody gather around. Come, come here. I got I to gotta speak with you. I got to talk to you about something. And folks, I want you to know that the word of God, your Bible that you have with you this morning, uh, this what we know to be God's absolute truth. It's not just what God has said, but what God is saying. If you believe it, say amen this morning. Amen. Now, what I mean by that, I want you to picture this. Just like they saw it when Jesus spoke those words in the flesh. He's gathering his people together and saying, okay, listen up now. I got something I really need to say to you. And he's doing the same thing with each and every person right here. I gather around. Let's listen up right now. I've got something important to speak to you. Now look what he says. This is good stuff. He says in verse number 35, or excuse me, verse number 34, the second part of that. Whosoever will come after me. Let him deny himself, take up his cross, and do what? Follow me. How do you know that a disciple is nothing more than a Christ follower? That, that simply means what Jesus does, we do. Jesus being our Lord, Jesus being our Master, He leads the way and we follow. So He says... First of all, you got to deny yourself, take up your cross. Now, let me ask you something, church. What is a cross? I know that um, today uh, the cross is seen much different than it did than it was in that day. I mean, we, we take crosses and hang them around our neck today. And I understand why we do that. I'm not against that. That's a symbol of our faith. Uh, we're the main symbols of our faith. Uh, the symbol of our faith. So, so I'm not against that. I'm just saying, in that day, no one would have ever done that. Because... What they knew, what we sometimes forget, is that the cross is an instrument of death. It's what the executioner would use to punish a criminal. It would be kind of like us hanging an electric chair around our neck today. They would never have done that. My point being that, listen to me now, Jesus says, if you're really going to follow me, you have to deny yourself and, and, and then die to yourself. That's what the cross is all about. It's dying to the old man so that we might walk in the power of the Holy Spirit in the newness of life. And so Jesus says, you got to take up that cross 
and follow me. Verse 35. For whosoever will save his life shall lose it, and whosoever shall lose his life for my sake and the gospel's sake, the same shall save it. For what shall it profit a man if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul? What a question. Jesus makes it extremely clear here that the human soul is very valuable. I don't even have a word big enough to say how valuable it is. Jesus makes it plain that the soul is more, my soul, your soul, our soul is more valuable than anything we could possibly gain in this world. Then he takes it a step further and he says that our soul is more valuable than the whole world itself. So this is coming straight from the mouth of God. He's saying your soul has high, great, immense value. And that's what I want to talk about this morning. The value of a human soul. Dr. David Jeremiah said something I remember from years ago. It's always stuck with me. He said, if you could hear the heartbeat of God, it's saying souls, 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 souls. I think he's right. Your soul is valued greatly by God above. Amen? Let's pray together. Father, we love you. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for who you are and what you've done. Lord, I'm so thankful that you've shown us grace and mercy in spite of ourselves. Lord, you know me, every good thing and every bad thing. Father God, there is no one, not one of us that can hide from you this morning. You know right exactly where our hearts are. And Father God, I am asking right now through the power of, of Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit, have your way. Do your work in my heart, in our hearts this morning. Speak your truth plainly to me and through me to these people. Lord, I can't do it. They need not hear what I have to say, but what you have to say to them. So, Lord, use me this morning, I pray, as your mouthpiece. Put me behind the cross and use me for your honor and your glory, for you alone are worthy. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. The value of a human soul. I've got three points that I want to make to you. First of all, I want you to see the worth of a soul. Then I want you to see the waste of a soul. And then I want you to see what I'm going to call the wooing of a soul. Well, so when we're talking about the worth of a soul, what are we talking about? Well, let me ask you this. What makes an object, a soul, anything, what makes anything valuable? Well, there's three or four things that I want you to see that makes anything valuable, even your soul valuable. First of all, who created it? That makes something valuable. Wouldn't you agree? I was reading in preparation for this message, and, and I, I was reading about um, uh, uh, the Mona Lisa. How many of you ever know what the Mona Lisa is? It's the famous painting created by Leonardo da Vinci over in, uh, and it's hanging right now in the Louvre Museum in, in France. And, and listen, it's said by most people who know about art that it's, it's priceless. There's not enough money to buy it. There's another one called The Starry Night. That's probably my favorite painting, painted by uh, Rembrandt. And, and listen, uh, when, when he print painted that, uh, <clears throat> folks, now that is said to be priceless. Now, I've got one that I think is even more uh, 
priceless to me than, than the one that, that uh, not Rembrandt, but Van Gogh. That Van Gogh painted, The Starry Night. My, my daughter, Ellie Grace, painted us one, and I've got it hanging uh, in our living room right now. And so uh, that, that's even more valuable to me. Maybe I'm a little bit biased. But, but what I'm saying is, folks, that, listen, who created that painting is really what makes it valuable. Uh, that, that this man who had such great creativity and did something that no one else could do, painted the most Mona Lisa. And, and now everybody says, you know what, there's not enough money to buy that. So uh, who created that object makes it extremely valuable. The same is true for our soul. How many of you know this morning that it is God Almighty that created the soul within us? Now you need to understand something. You need to get a hold of this. I know that sometimes we view... Uh, uh, ourselves, human beings, as bodies who have a soul. But actually what we are are souls who have a body. Amen? And there's a, that's a very big distinction that you need to think about. You need to know. Our soul, folks, will live eternally. If you believe it, say amen this morning. And it's going to live eternally in one of two places. Now why is our soul eternal? Because it's created in... The image of God himself. Genesis chapter number 2 and verse number 7. Brother, if you'll put that on the screen for me, please. Listen to what the Bible says. Genesis 2 and the 7th verse. It says that God formed man of the dust of the ground. And watch this now. He breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And man became a living soul. If you go back to Genesis chapter 1 and verse number 27, it says that mankind was created in God's own image. Now listen to me, folks. Our, our soul can no, can no more cease to exist than God can cease to exist. Why? Because our soul was created in God's image by God himself. It's valuable because of who created it. And you need to understand this morning that when your soul leaves this body and, that, and all this body is, it is the house your soul's living in in this world. J just this past week, um, I had the privilege and the honor of preaching the funeral of Brother Watson McRae. Brother Watson passed away about two weeks ago now and he was a faithful member here at Mount Zion. And, and, and I was glad to be able to be a part of that. But I, I told his family what I want to tell you. How many of you know that when he was laying up here in this casket, that wasn't Watson McRae laying there. That's just the house he lived in. That's the flesh that will then go back to the dust from whence it came. Just like this earthly house I'm living in and the earthly house that you're living in will one day go back to the dust from whence it came, but this soul will exist for eternity. Think about that just a minute. And it's going to exist in one of two places. The Bible teaches your soul will either exist in heaven in the presence of God, or your soul will forever exist in a place called hell. You say, oh, no, Brother Israel, I can't believe you're one of them hellfire brimstone preachers. Folks, let me tell you something. If we're going to preach about heaven, we've got to preach about hell. You say, Russell, do you believe there's an actual heaven, a real place called heaven? Absolutely I do. Let me tell you why I believe that. Because Jesus talked a whole lot about heaven. He talked about him coming from heaven. He talked about himself going back to heaven. He talked about how we can get to heaven. Can you say amen? Jesus believed in heaven, therefore I believe in heaven. But now listen, if, if we preach about heaven and we believe 
in heaven. We must preach about and believe in hell because the same Jesus talked a whole lot more about hell than he ever did about heaven. He warned continually about hell. He, he talked about hell being a real, literal place. I know there's a lot of debate going on today by liberal theologians whether or not hell is a literal place. Well, Jesus talked about it literally when he spoke of the, uh, the, the, the parable of uh, the rich man and Lazarus uh, over in uh, Luke chapter number 16. You remember that story? He said that the rich man was tormented in the flame. That sounds pretty literal to me. Hell is a real place created, the Bible says, for his death, for the devil and his angels. It's the place where the worm dies not. And the flame can't be quenched. Yes, I believe in heaven, but I do believe in hell. Because Jesus talked a whole lot about both of those things. And you need to know that your soul is headed to either heaven or hell, and that is dependent upon the decision you make to trust in Christ. Amen? Who created our soul is what makes our soul very valuable. But not only what our soul is and who created it, that makes it valuable, but listen, it's not just who we are, but who we can be. That makes something valuable. The, the, the potential in something, doesn't that make it valuable? I was reading about Michelangelo this week. He was the, uh, a great sculptor. And, and he said this. He said that when he looked at a, a big block of, of, of marble, he said there's an angel in that marble and I'm about to set it free. <laughs> I like that. He saw something. He saw the potential in that block of marble that nobody else saw. And I want you to know something this morning. You have... Great potential. I wish we could get a hold of the potential we have as human beings. I heard J. Vernon McGee say something. He said that sitting in your seat this morning, theoretically, there are three people. The person you are, the person you could be if you don't yield your heart fully to the Lord, and then the person you could be if you yield your heart fully to the Lord. That's good. He's exactly right. But we need to know what happens if we, if, if we do any of those things. If we do not yield our heart fully to the Lord, the Bible says in Proverbs 14, 12, there is a way that seems right to a man, but the end of that way is destruction. The Bible says... That the human heart is desperately wicked. Who can know it? Really what that verse is talking about is that we don't even know how wicked we could be without the goodness and grace of God. And when we don't fully yield our heart unto the Lord, that's the direction we'll travel. That's the way we will go. The way that ends in destruction, the way of wickedness. And I want to, I want to warn you against that. Let, let me tell you something, folks. I, I, I'm not just thankful I'm saved because I've missed hell and gained heaven. I'm thankful I'm saved because I get to experience abundant life here. Can you say amen? I don't want you to waste your living now 
not fully yielding yourself to the Lord. I don't want to waste my living now not fully yielding myself to the Lord. I want to go His way. I want to, listen, experience His abundant life that He has promised to everybody who trusts in Him. So you need to understand, you have great potential, but you've got also got a choice to make. Are you going to yield yourself fully to Christ, or are you going to go your own way and do your own thing? Your soul, you, are valuable because you have great potential. It's not just about who you are, but what God can do in your life. What He wants to do in your life. Let me tell you something else that makes an object valuable, that makes your soul valuable, is uniqueness. Do you know there are over 7 billion people upon, upon planet Earth right now? And do you realize there's not another person like you? You know that? You are one of a kind. I am one of a kind. And I want you to know something. God wanted you. Therefore, He created you. By His sovereign will, through His providential plan, He put you into the equation. Now, I'm telling you that because I want you to understand and know not one person in here is an accident or a mistake. You may have thought throughout your life that you are a mistake or an accident. You may have been treated throughout your life like you are a mistake or you are an accident. You can rest assured this morning, that God created you for purpose. You are one of a kind created by God. The Bible says you and I are fearfully and wonderfully made. Isn't that good news? You are valued by God because there's not another one like you. Me and my son was riding back home yesterday. We'd run to town for a little bit. And we went by my neighbor's house, and he's got two 68 model Broncos sitting in his yard. And I know it says that I shouldn't covet what my neighbor has. But I truly coveted what that brother had sitting in his yard. I love, that's one of my, I'm a, I'm a car guy, and I absolutely love the old Broncos, especially that model, the first generation Broncos. Man, they look so good sitting there in that yard. And I watched a show a few weeks ago where they redo cars. And I like watching those things. And, uh, and these guys fixed one of those old Broncos up like that, those first gen Broncos. And you know what that thing sold for? $135,000. Blew me away. I couldn't believe that. When they were bought, when it was bought new, they said it sold for seventeen hundred dollars, and now it sold for a hundred and thirty-five thousand dollars. And they brought it into their shop when they started on it in buckets. But now listen to me: what makes that Bronco so valuable? Because there's not a lot of them. It's unique. What makes gold more valuable than dirt? 
There's a whole lot more dirt than there are gold, than there is gold, right? The uniqueness of an object makes it extremely valuable. And listen, you are unique. Therefore, you are valuable to the God of heaven. Don't forget that. God created you for His purpose. Let me tell you what else makes an object valuable. How bad somebody wants it. I'm going to tell you something. To pay $135,000 for any vehicle, you've got to want it pretty bad, amen? Amen. Truly do. I learned that how bad somebody wants something, how it's desired from someone else is really what makes the value of it go up or down. When I was just a little boy. When I was a little boy, my brother always collected baseball cards, but I never was a, a baseball fan or a baseball player, but I collected football cards. And we would go, every time we went to the store, we'd beg mom and dad for a pack of cards. And we couldn't wait to see what kind of card we were going to get when we opened up those packages. And one day, we had stopped down at uh, Texas' store up here on 19, the old store that's, uh, that, that's on 19 North over here. And we went in there, and I bought a pack of football cards. And when I got home, I opened it up, and guess what I had? A Jerry Rice rookie card. Now, if you card collectors, you know that that's a pretty big deal. Man, I was fired up because he was one of my favorite football players of all time. And I'd gotten that card, and I went to the, uh, to the magazine that tells you the worth of the card that we had at home. And I looked it up and seen what it was worth in the book. And I thought, well, if it's worth that much, and, and it, I, my, I think it was $35, $40, something like that at that time. But to a 9, 10, 11-year-old boy, $35 is uh, you uh, walking in high cotton if you've got $35. <laughs> And so I thought, man, I, I'm taking that to the nearest card shop I can find, and I'm fixing to get me $35. And so I, I took the card. We went over to uh, a man who bought and sold cards, and he looked at it, and he said, I'll tell you what I'll do. I'll give you five bucks for it. And I said, what? That book says it's worth 35 He said, son, something is only worth what somebody else is willing to pay for it. How much you desire an object determines its value. Can you say it again? Do you know that God himself desired you so much? He wanted to know you have relationship with you so much that he was willing to put his own son on a cross so that you could be a part of his family. Isn't that amazing? You are desired by God. Therefore, your soul is extremely valuable. I want you to see the worth of a soul, but I also want you to see the waste of a soul. And that's another thing that Jesus teaches right here in this verse. He says down in verse number 34, or excuse me, verse number 35, um, Whosoever will save his life shall lose it, but whosoever shall lose his life for my sake, for the gospel, uh, he shall save it. For what shall it profit a man if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Why is it a, an act of futility that really means nothing 
if all you go after, if all you desire is what the world has to offer or what you can gain in it, what, why does that mean really nothing? And, and it's actually a waste of the soul that we've been given, of the life that we've been given. I'll tell you one. Three reasons. First of all, no one can gain the whole world. There have been a lot of people trying. Alexander the Great, he tried. He didn't make it. He died before he was able to accomplish his task. Hitler tried, but he didn't make it. Napoleon tried. He didn't make it. Genghis Khan tried. He didn't make it. I mean, all these people throughout history, they tried to conquer the whole world, but it's impossible for a man to do that. Now, let me say this, though. Even if you do gain the whole world, how many of you know you can't keep it? There's always going to be someone going to try to take it away from you. Always going to be someone that's going to try and, and, and take what you've worked so hard to get. And guess what? One day, even if you did gain the whole world, even if you gained all the money in it, one day you're going to leave this world. You're going to die. Last time I checked, the death rate of human beings is one out of one. All of us will face death. This flesh, this earthly house will go back to the dust from whence it came. And again, our soul will spend an eternity somewhere. It's an act of futility to only go after what you can gain in the world. Because first of all, you can't gain the whole world. If you did gain the whole world, you couldn't keep it. And let me tell you something else. What you receive in the world or from the world can't truly satisfy you. Did you know that? C.S. Lewis said, if our heart continually longs for that which the world can't offer, that must mean there's something other than this world. That's good stuff. What he's talking about. There is an eternity. There is a heaven to gain. There is a hell to shun. But praise God, listen to me. <laughs> what we have in Christ can truly satisfy the longings of the human heart. You say, brother, how do you know that? Because listen, I've tried what the world has to offer. A lot of people think, man, if I could, if I could just get a hold of them, uh, if I could just get with the right person, to have that good relationship, then I'd finally be happy. And they go from one relationship to another, trying to find that perfect person, trying to find peace and, and, and listen, purpose and prosperity in, in someone that, that can't give you all those things. And they put so much pressure on a person to make them happy that the relationship fails and they go to the next person. And, and, and listen, it's a, it's a vicious cycle over and over and over again. But they think, man, if I could just get with the right person, I'd finally have what I'm looking for. And some people think, man, if I could just gain power, if I could climb the, 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 the rungs on the ladder of success, if I could become something in my, in my community and I could do all this stuff, then finally I, could, I would be happy. And, and, and they go that route. Some people think they can find peace. That only God can give. Joy that only God can give. Purpose that only God can give. And the next party. And the next peel. 
Folks, I'm going to tell you something. I've tried all those things. You'll never find the peace you're looking for in a person. Physically speaking, you'll never find the peace you're looking for in power and prestige and prosperity. You'll never find the peace you're looking for in a pill or a party. But I can tell you this. You will find peace when you have a relationship with the Prince of Peace. Amen. You will. I used to preach a message entitled, When the American Dream Turns into, into a Nightmare. Because I think that happens for a lot of people. They work their fingers to the bone to try to gain all they can. To try to have all the things they think is going to finally make them happy. And when they, listen, really, in a lot of ways, wasted their whole life just gaining stuff. And they get to the end of their life and it still ain't happy. Still didn't offer to them what they thought it would. That's a sad state, isn't it? Now, I'm not saying you shouldn't work hard. I am certainly, man, the Bible don't say that, don't teach that. The Bible says whatever the Lord puts in your hands to do it, do it as you do it under the Lord. Can you see it here? Hey, listen, we live in a land of opportunity. Go get it. You can be and have whatever you want to be and you have whatever you want to have if you are willing to work for it in this country. Praise God for that. What a blessing that is. Take advantage of it. I'm not saying that you shouldn't want to have nice things, that you shouldn't want to make a difference in, the, in society, in, the community, in, your, in your community. But I am saying if that stuff is all you have, then you still lose. And that's what Jesus is saying. What does it profit to gain the whole world and lose your soul? Truthfully, it's a waste. You need to see the worth of the soul. You need to see the waste of the soul. But now, folks, I also want you to see the wooing, the wooing of the soul. The Bible says in John chapter number 6, in verse number 44, that no man can come to Jesus for salvation unless the Father draws him. You see that? No man can come to me, this is Jesus speaking, except the Father which hath sent me draw him, and I will raise him up at the last day. For a person to come to the saving knowledge of the Lord Jesus, it takes the work of God the Holy Spirit. I've preached long enough to know that. I've witnessed in the church and outside of the church long enough to know that. I can spit truth all day long, but only God the Holy Spirit can impart that truth to a person's life. Only God the Holy Spirit can make that truth real to them. I can tell somebody how much they need Jesus till I'm blue in the face. But it's God the Holy Spirit who brings that revelation to their heart and life. He convicts us. That's what begins to take place. 
He said, Brother Joel, how do you know that you're being convicted by the Holy Spirit to get saved? How do you know that he's wooing you, that he's drawing you unto himself? Well, I'll tell you how. When you begin to realize your sinfulness and your need for a Savior, that's when. That's how it happens. I think a lot of people misunderstand that the drawing of the Holy Spirit is going to cause the room to turn upside down and, and there's going to be a great big beam of light that shines directly into your shines from heaven directly into your head and, and give you the revelation that you need. No, folks, when you begin to realize your need for a Savior and your own sinfulness in your life, you know God the Holy Spirit is dealing with you. You say, Brother, how do you know that? Well, look what Romans 3.10 says. Brother, put that on the screen for us. Romans chapter 3, starting in verse number 10. As it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. Look at verse 11. There is none that understandeth. There is none that seeks after God. Everybody see that? What that saying is, in our sinful human state, none of us, Seek after the Lord. None of us do. So when you come to the place where you realize your need for God, you realize your need for a Savior, you know that's God doing a work that only God can do. And if you're here this morning, and you know God the Holy Spirit is making you um, aware of your sinfulness and your need for salvation, then today is the day of salvation for you, my friend. I'm telling you. First of all, he convicts us. And then what happens? Well, conversion happens. How does that happen? It happens by grace through faith. Ephesians chapter 2 and verse number 8 says, For by grace through faith are you saved. By God's grace, His undeserved favor. How many of you know I don't deserve salvation? You don't deserve salvation. Matter of fact, if we all get what we deserve, we get a devil's hell. But because of God's amazing grace, His undeserved favor, He's made a way through the person of His Son for you to be saved. The Bible says by grace, through faith, when you choose to place faith in Christ, then my friend, you can be born again in this family. Your soul can be saved. Can you say it again? Your soul can be ready for eternity. Conviction. Conversion. Let me, let me tell you what's going to happen. Then you become what the Bible calls. Roman, go to Romans 8.28. I don't want to misquote it. Look what the Bible says right here. There's a conforming that takes place. Watch what, the, what this says. And we know that all things work together for the good of them that love God and them that are called according to His purpose. Look at 29. For Him, for whom He did foreknow, He also did predestinate to be, watch this now, conformed to the image of His Son. What does conform mean? It means to be made and molded into the image of something else. If you ever played with Play-Doh, you know what conforming is. You take that Play-Doh and you can mold it and make it into whatever you choose to mold it and make it into. And the Bible says when we trust in Jesus, 
by grace through faith, when we are born again into God's family, then God himself begins the process of conforming us into the image of the Lord Jesus Christ. To be conformed to the image of Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Now let me ask you something, folks. When does that take place? A lot of people think, well, we're going to become like Jesus when we get to heaven. And that is tr truly the culmination of, of the work of salvation. No doubt about it. 1 John 3 and 2 says that one day I will be just as he is. Can you see me? And if you're a child of God, one day you will be just as he is in your glorified body. Living in eternity. That's all true. But now listen to me. This process begins at the moment you are saved. He begins molding and making you into the image of the Lord Jesus Christ. How does that happen? Through the powerful work of the Holy Spirit and the powerful truth of the Word of God. The Word of God coupled with the power of the Holy Spirit is what changes our hearts and lives as we take God's truth and by His power, it's applied to our lives. Can you say it again? The truth is, it would be a terrible waste for you to have what you could gain in this world and that be it. How many of you know you've only got one soul? And if you lose that one, you're in a terrible shape. Jesus said, what does it profit to have all of it and lose your so, listen to me. Listen to me this morning. Jesus loves you. Jesus can and will save your soul. You can have eternal life because of His finished work. If God the Holy Spirit has convicted you this morning, if you know He spoke to you this morning, this invitation is for you. Let me ask you something, Mount Zion Baptist Church, for those who have trusted in Jesus. If, if a soul is that valuable, like we've talked about this morning, to the God of heaven, shouldn't it be valuable to us? May we never, ever, may we never miss the point. Let's keep the main thing the main thing. Folks, I'm thankful that, hey, God's doing a work right here and we're in the middle of a building program. But how many of you know God is more concerned about souls than he is buildings? And we can have plans and we can have programs and we can do this and we can do that. But we've got to make sure everything we're doing is for the purpose of reaching souls. From the plans we make, the programs we create. The money we give, let's all of it, may all of it be done so that souls may come to know Jesus as their personal Savior. Child of God, do you have friends and family members who you know need their soul saved? Maybe during this time, you just want to pray for them. Call them out by name. 
I believe the first step of anybody coming to Christ, when someone gets concerned enough to pray for that person. I don't know where I'd be if it hadn't been for people praying for me. Asking God to do what only God can do. If you need the Lord anyway, this is your invitation. You'll be closing soon.